Welcome to another edition of Gold Bazan. It's an absolute pleasure for me to today be talking to Mr. Maher Mizai. If you know Maher Mizai's work, you know he's just an expert on football, just when it comes to African. And um, he's a huge, huge, huge fanatic of African football. And it was great to get a discussion about him from about Iran's upcoming matches against Tunisia and Algeria. So Maher just gave will give us a pretty much an in-depth discussion about you know, the likes of Tunisia and Algeria, how those teams will, you know, pretty much play against Iran, how Iran could benefit them. And, um, you know, we're just looking forward to just this discussion having with them. So, as always, we appreciate the support. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Gold Bazan. Thank you. Hi folks, welcome to another edition of Gobizan. It's an absolute delight for us to be joining Mar Mizai. Mar, thank you so much for your time. All the way from Algeria. It's very late night, but for you to come on Gobizan is an absolute pleasure, my friend. Thank you for coming on. How are you doing tonight? Thanks for having me. I'm I'm doing very, very well. Uh, I'm home alone. My left my wife uh, left for uh, she's on vacation, so uh, so you guys are keeping me company tonight, so so I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Even better, so now we won't have any intrude if you want to talk about footy for a little bit, so that's always a plus. Exactly. Mar, the first question I have for you is, Iran is playing two matches, you know, leading up to the World Cup, and it's two key matches that I would say that potentially how crucial of a match, you know, we'll have against Morocco, and that really will decide, honestly, if we win that, if we're going to advance or not, depending, obviously, on other circumstances as well. First match will be um, a market. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. March 23rd in Tunisia, in Tunisia, and on the 27th we're playing Algeria um, on the 27th. So we'll be talking about both of these nations with Mar. Mar, it's you know I like Iran, Tunisia. You know the last time they were you know fifth appearance in the World Cup, just like Iran. And but you know last time they were in the World Cup was in 2006. So it's been a long time, and it must be something huge for the nation. Um, I know they top, you know, Group A, but could you guys g- give us a little bit of a background in Tunisia's World Cup qualifi- uh, qualification leading up to the World Cup? Yeah, so they actually, uh, believe it or not, they kicked off qualifications in Algeria um, because they had Libya in their group, and Libya didn't play any of their matches at home because of the ongoing security concerns back home. Uh, so they actually kicked off their campaign uh, here in Algeria against Libya. So it was supposed to be Libya's home match, and uh, and they got a really... Uh, really gritty 1-0 win away from home uh, in a stadium that was half-filled with Libyan supporters and the other half-filled with Tunisian supporters. And really that sort of set the tone and defined the rest of their qualifying campaign. Uh, This is a team that's not going to wow you by the way they play football, not like the sort of Algeria 2014 style, you know, the the attacking side that sort of took the world uh, by storm. This is going to be a a very pragmatic side, and, and I've used that so much to describe Tunisia over the past two, three years. But it really is. It's it's it, it, the intangibles are what defines this team. We're talking about grit. We're talking about team spirit and tenacity. And I think a lot of the times those are superlatives from you know from clueless um, pundits like myself. But I really do think it's the case here. And if you ask any Tunisian player, they'll tell you the same thing. So they played uh, that match. They won and they got off to a quick start. And after that, they beat Guinea at home. Uh, Tunisia's home record has always been very good. But the one match that really defined the qualifi- qualification campaign was against. Uh, DR Congo. DR Congo is a team that has Yannick Bolasi. It's a team that I think I believe uh, finished uh, 
in in the final four of uh, I think two of the three of the last three Cup Nations. I might I might have had that wrong, but at least one of them for sure. So they're a very very um, they're 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 a team that haven't been to the World Cup in a long time, and they're a team that everybody was tipping to go to the World Cup. So it was going to be a show off between Tunisia and the DRC, and Tunisia they they went to go play in the DRC and. And they, they, they were losing 2-0. And with, I think, 15 minutes left, they came back and equalized 2-2. And again, it's that grit and that tenacity that helped them come back there in Kinshasa. And that match was what put it over the edge. And, and from there, they, they were confident that they were going to qualify. Mar, you know, you're speaking right now about, um, you know, Tunisia's pragmatic approach. And that's something, you know, Iran's manager has been doing and it's been working. I would say it's more like in the Portuguese style of play, to be honest with that um, pragmatic approach. When you're saying pragmatic approach, do you mean like, you know, being defensively compact and countering or pragmatic approach in another sense of footballing stuff from Tunisia? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you're, you're right on tax, actually. Push, push me on that. Look, they to tell you that they play a specific specific formation, they don't. The coach has has moved, played di different variations with three or five at the back, and then four three threes into four four twos. He's played all kinds of formations. Um, he's tested all kinds of different players, and there hasn't really been a clear identity. Some matches they dominate possession, but I think what we're going to see from Tunisia here is that you're going to see uh, uh, the vast majority of their players. Before this recent exodus in January, the vast majority of their players play in Tunisia. So these are players that know each other. And these are players with a lot of experience as well. So you could talk about the goalkeeper, Eamon Bilbouli. You could talk about uh, the defenders like Eamon Abdenour or like uh, midfielders like Emin Ben Amor for Jani Sessi. They all have 40, 50 caps. They're, they know each other. They play against each other two, three times per year. And they've been playing to, together on this national team for four or five years. So if you, if you ask me for a playing style, I'm, again, it, it kind of depends match by match. But, but... Uh, they're very strong defensively, uh, and their wing, their fullbacks do do bring an attacking. Uh, they do help in attack. You have Hamdi Nagas who plays for one of Egypt's two biggest clubs, the Malik, on the right, and you have Ali Malul who plays for the other Egyptian giant, El Ahly, on the left. And ex you can expect those two to push up and really help. Uh, they're two of Africa's best fullbacks, uh, even though they're not very well known around the world. And you can expect them to push up and, and help the attack. So attacking through the width. And getting the ball to the star man, Yusuf Msakni. Yusuf Msakni, again, another name that maybe at, in Europe we don't really know. But in Africa, he's a superstar. He's been performing at the Cup of Nations for the last two, three, four editions. And he's been uh, he's been incredible this qualifying campaign. He plays for the richest team in Qatar. He's, I think, second leading scorer in Qatar. He's on a crazy contract. He's making crazy money in uh, in, in the Gulf. Um, so you put the ball in his hand. You put the ball in his at his feet, rather. And he's going to make something happen. So strong defensively, attacking through the width, and using Yusuf Msekni in attacking axis. You know, talking about, you know, defensively wise, that's something that, you know, how Iran has been doing such a phenomenal job under Carlos Queiroz. You know, the team spirit, the tenacity, the resilience, and whatnot. And I think, you know, going to this match, I, I'm really interested to see, you know, how much this is going to benefit Iran. And we're going to talk about Morocco in a bit, how this will uh, relate, Mar, is that when you're talking about how good are their defensively, are you saying that potentially they're better defensive side than Morocco is? Because Morocco did such a phenomenal no. job, you know, defensively in that sense. And, you know, with the stuff, uh, with the style of play Herbert Renard has, you know, they're very similar, interesting to Iran. And I think that's it's going to come all down to tactics, you know. But... Now looking at this, what sort of you know positive negativities could you say that Iran could take out of this match, and how much of a beneficial playing against Tunisia is to beat the likes of Morocco? 
Um, I think this match would have been more beneficial if it was sort of like a continental, like if Iran was going to play Morocco in, in a continental qualifier somehow, because, I mean, where they would have to play in Morocco, with this, which has a similar climate to Tunisia. Um, so, you know, they could like get used to like playing in North Africa. But at the World Cup, um, look, both sides are strong defensively. That's that's true. Yeah. But Morocco is much, much, much stronger defensively. That, that's a side that hasn't conceded a goal throughout the World Cup qualifying campaign. Right. Again, I might be wrong about this, but I think they're the only national team to, to have done that. Um, and they're a team that defend with all 11 men. Um, Tunisia don't really do that very well. Uh, Morocco make things so compact, the ball never really gets behind defenders. It can happen on occasion with Tunisia. So Morocco are a much better side uh, than Tunisia. and But they do sort of um, lack a really good striker both sides and they both they do both uh, re- uh, rely on their creative outlets so like their creative attacking midfielders like Yusuf Msakni and Morocco will rely on Hakim Ziyech so there are similarities I think it's a, it's a good match if I was ahead of the Iranian FA I would probably would have booked this friendly as well um, but I I mean what do you think I, do you think it's like really you think it's, it's really helpful to book uh these kinds of friendlies before, before a World Cup, three, three, four months before, ahead of a World Cup. I mean, but, sorry to interrupt again, but yeah. I think, I, th- I honestly think Tunisia is going to bring six, seven new players that they're going to test. Mm-hmm. Iran might do the same. Uh, maybe try a few different tactical schemes, but I don't know how helpful they're going to be as a sparring partner. You know what I mean? No, of course, you know, end of the day, um, both managers have to select a 23-man team, you know, and this is a good way, you know, especially in Iran, one of the interesting things that we have that has been a revolution under our manager, uh, Carlos Kairos, is that the amount of players of the team spirit that they leave Iran to show themselves, you know, and, you know, play for these European clubs, you know, to get, you know, the chance to get called up to the national team. A lot of players I wouldn't even expect that have done that, they've done so, and, you know, one of them being Kaveh Rezaid, that he, he was playing for SLA last season, which is a major club in Iran as a striker. And, you know, he's right now playing in Belgium for one of uh, Charlie, Charlie Loy, if I'm not mistaken, um, pronouncing it probably wrong. But he's been phenomenal. So point being is, you know, it's good because you have a mixture of European players with this, with the strength of, you know, the Iranian players within Iran. And what Carlos Kairos is trying to do is trying to bring that level of tenacity of the Iranian players that are playing in the Iranian league up. So I think that will benefit him, you know, playing with the likes of Tunisia. Um, Now, looking back into how this relates with Morocco is that end of the day, you know, and um, Carlos Kersh even has mentioned before, our match against Morocco is a World Cup final, right, Meyer? Because pretty much if we don't win that match, the odds of us advancing is slim, you know, let's just put put it that way. So if we do potentially beat Morocco, we do have a chance and that's how it's everything in for us right now for this World Cup is that first game, you know, it's do or die. So... To have, you know, play against it such as, as you said, Tunisia, that comes correlates with Iran in the sense that they're very tough to, you know, score on. That's a beneficial for us. They're not up to the standards of Morocco, but it helps, you know. And on the other hand, when we're playing a style of, you know, position style, um, you know, attacking style of football that Algeria plays, that sort of correlates not only with the African roots, but also you could look at, you know, we're playing the likes of Spain, for example. I'm not saying obviously Algeria is right, right. the like of Spain, but it correlates. And let's not forget, this is an Iranian team that four years ago could not um, have these friendlies matches, if that makes sense. And I think that was a big issue we had. Now we have the likes of Tunisia and Algeria play. Who wouldn't, you know, especially considered with the Iranian Federation and, you know, the trouble with politics internally and, you know, outside of Iran and, you know, the funding. This is the best we could do. And this is something that I think every fan is really appreciative, if that makes sense, you know. 
But what I'm trying to, you know, as obviously Tunisian fans or Algerian fans, you know, they might not know much as, you know, about Iranian football, as much as Iranian football fans might not know about Tunisia, right? Now we're going to talk about Algeria uh, pretty soon. But Meyer, from what I've just told you, right, how would you see this matchup benefiting just not only Tunisia, but Iran from what I've just told you? Like again, like I said, Tunisia are bringing six or seven. I believe they will bring six or seven new players uh, in the squad. They've already convinced a lot of their players from the diaspora to come back uh, and play for the Tunisian national team. So there was Moaz Hassan, who's a goalkeeper uh, at Nice. Uh, there's Seyfeddin Khawi, who's a midfielder at Troyes. There's um, I'm missing a few others. Um, Yoan Benalwan, a defender for Leicester City. These are players that had previously, Elias Khiri as well, sorry, midfielder from Montpellier. These are players that had previously either snubbed the Tunisian national team or said that, you know, they're not ready yet. And now they have that golden ticket to the World Cup and they've come in their droves to come play for the Tunisian national team. Um, so there was a big debate in Tunisia on whether these players should be given the opportunity to represent Tunisia in Russia. Uh, it looks like the Tunisian Federation are going to recoup these talents and test them in these friendlies. So that's going to be, I think, uh, one of the biggest benefits uh, for Tunisia playing in, in this match and then in their match against Costa Rica on the 27th of March. Um, and for Iran, I, I don't know if it's going to be the same thing. I don't know if there's going to be a lot of players uh, players coming in uh, that, the player, that the coach wants to, wants to test. But I think you're right in pointing out that it's, it's going to be a cup final for, for both sides, for Morocco and for Iran at the World Cup. And I think Tunisia are kind of similar to Morocco. So I think in these kinds of matches, these, these matches that are stalemates, that are nil-nils and that are going into the dying seconds, it's going to be that final quality that, it's going to be the details, you know, the, the little bit of quality that makes a difference. Um, and I wanted to ask you if you think that your Iranian, especially your attacking players, you know, the ones that are going to have one, two, three chances the entire match and that are going to have to convert one, do you think you guys have that quality to, to put the game to bed in the final moments? Yeah, you know, the thing with, um, unfortunately, that Iran has always struggled is that we have the talent, you know, but it also comes down to, you know, the pragmatic counter style, style of play. You know, we have the players, you know, right now, one of the top talents right now, it's arguably in the Eredivisie, is who's the best player right now in the league, is Ziyech or Jahan Baksh of Azad Al-Khmar. Uh, Jahan Baksh, you know, has made a name for himself, not only right now in Asian football, right now he's doing it really pretty much in Holland from, you know, when he left Iran, he was playing for NSC, he got signed by Azad Alkmaar two or three years ago, and now he's making a name for himself. Now he's potentially our right winger, right? Um, then we have obviously Saadar Ozmoun, as you know, another big talent of ours, the striker that, you know, last year he led things up on fire in the Champions League, scored in the lights of Atletico Madrid, you know, Bayern Munich, when he was playing for Rostov, and he's someone that, you know, in Asian football is a huge name. He had a lot of offers in Europe, but hopefully after this World Cup, he'll make a higher move so people will be familiarized with him. And then another player that we know we've recently signed, and as you know, you might know, um, he's, his name is Samon Godus. Uh, you know, he grew up in Sweden. He, you know, I believe that if Iran didn't chase him, he would have, you know, got, you know, decided to play for Sweden. And you see, that's, that's another player that right now there's a lot of question marks on where he's going to fit in. So Iran, yes, Iran does have the talent and everything. But the issue is, you know, with the, these style of play that we want to play, you know, um, Iran doesn't score as much goals, if that makes sense. You know, we're not going to go into the World Cup knowing we're going to score, <laughs> you know. And I think that's the key thing that, um, you know, I'm looking forward to. And I think even the guys at the podcast would say that, you know, how are we going to get the best out of these guys, you know, and especially with a exactly. high defensive, you know, team that Morocco is. 
and ironically, Iran is a very strong team defensively in Asia. Right. And you know, we, uh, last game was the only game we 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 got conceded on. It was just two goals from Syria, ironically. So. You know, how are we going to uh, score a goal against this side of more? And I think that's the reason why this Tunisia game, now when, from what you're telling me, and it makes more sense now, you know, obviously, you know, we're all football people, but, you know, as much as, you know, African football might not be such a particular, you know, place for every, every you know, football fan would see or even when it comes to Asian football. So this is why it's a good discussion to have with you to learn more from various regions is that it's going to benefit Iran, you know. How are we going to break that team down? Because there's they're not they're sort of similar to Morocco, you know. And yes, Iran does have a chance. And but it's just a matter of fact that you know with the pragmatic approach we're gonna have and the way Morocco is gonna play, how are we gonna set up against them? You know, and I believe. But that, it, that's why it's so important to, to yeah. score when the, when the opportunity is presented to you because yeah, you exactly. know in that Morocco Iran match there's gonna be very very few opportunities to yeah. score, and yeah. when that opportunity does come and it will come. Which side is going to convert that that scoring chance? You and see, I think that's who's going to make the difference. You see, and the, another thing is with uh, coming that Mar that I just want to say when we look at that match is like who's going to be the team that is willing to be more open, you know? And I honestly yeah. think it's going to be Iran from what I've um, from the, with the discussions I've had, you know, with people about Morocco, and so I believe it's going to be more Iran willing to sacrifice that. But then again, you know. It's going to come maybe down to more set pieces than an open play. But it's interesting. And I think this Tunisian side not only, you know, will help Iran, but them themselves too. Um, we have a question from Twitter, Meyer. And, um, you know, it's from at AMRNFAMI. I'm sorry if I maybe pronounced that wrong. It says, if Iran are to benefit from, from facing Tunisia as they will play Morocco and Russia, what benefits can the Cartage Eagles have from this friendly since none of their World Cup group rivals looks like Iran? You know, I've, I'm just doing it from top of my hair, so uh, I'm sorry if, because um, yeah. correct me, Mar, if I might be wrong. I believe they are playing Belgium, yep. England, uh, it's obviously and Tunisia, Panama. and Panama, right? So what I think, Maher, is that first of all, I believe with the difficulties the Tunisian Federation has, this is the best game they could do. Because they're up against the best Asian team you know, right now currently, and there's no question about it. With what Carlos Caixas has done with the compact defensive approach they have, which um, it goes back to the counter-attacking thing, I think that will give Tunisia a better sense of how how they'll benefit by that is that, you know, if they want to play with the likes of, you know, Belgium and England, to have a very physical team is going to benefit them, that by itself, because those uh, England is much more of a physical team than Belgium. Belgium, as much as they have a lot of physical players, they're very technical as opposed to England, right? And another thing we got to look at that I believe that's going to benefit them, I believe Panama, like Iran, and I don't know much about Panama, but I'm pretty sure against the likes of Tunisia, they're going to be much more defensive. So that's another thing they'll benefit from. If they're going to try to break down Iran's defense, you know, Panama is going to be doing the same thing. And not only that, they're going up against, you know, a Carlos Carriage side that has a lot of fire, a lot of physicality, a lot of emotions, you know. And that by itself will show them and maintain that kind of composure. If that, if they're trying to bring that willingness into the game, they got to give it all against the likes of Iran with the way, you know, if you want to beat Iran, you know, whether it's a friendly or whatever. So they got to do the same against the likes of, you know, Belgium and England. So I would say in the terms of, you know, physicality, you know, playing a team that is played so compact and does so well against a counter-attacking side like Iran is, will just beneficial, be benefit, excuse me, be beneficial greatly to them. So um, as much as they're not playing against an Asian side and it's kind of dubious, um, you know, with how things might play out with Iran, but they're playing against the best Asian team there is right now. And that by itself is crucial to them. 
Yeah, it's an interesting question from from Ahmed Fahmi. He's a B, journalist for BN Sports. is one of the one of the biggest African names. So that's always nice to get a question from him. Um, when it comes to Tunisia, what they benefit, what they stand to benefit from this match, I think uh, I haven't seen enough of Panama to really to really know um, if they, they play a the similar most, kind of you know, uh, style yeah. to Iran. But I'm assuming that Tunisia are doing the same thing and they're picking a country that's that's you know in Central America that they've picked. Uh, Costa Rica uh, in their second friendly match, so I think that's the match that they're going to sort of uh, pair up with the Panama match as preparation. Um, but I think what they're really going to use this match for, and we, we sort of touched up on it, is uh, is to test players. They're bringing in again five, six new players, and the coach is going to be testing them. And this is going to be their big their big chance. If they're good enough during these two March friendlies, they'll probably be in the squad uh, come June. If they aren't good enough. Then obviously the, the the World Cup is not for them. But I wanted to ask you actually about that as well. Like in Iran, are they ha- is there a big debate about like players that haven't played quali- the qualification campaign uh, playing in the World Cup? Is is that a debate or no? Um, in what sense are you exactly saying that the players that you know that you know they just because they weren't part of you know the qualification process, why they might get call up um, opposed to the players that were part of the qualification that didn't get a call up, like that kind of debate? Exactly. Exactly, especially, I don't know if you guys have players in, in the diaspora, you, you mentioned a player from Sweden, you know, yeah. players that, for, for in North Africa, it's mostly from France, Spain, Holland, maybe Belgium, these are players that were maybe waiting for a call-up from the other side, and when they didn't get it, and now that they see the World Cup is coming, they decide, okay, now's the t- they're opportunists, now's the time to play for this North African national side, now that they're going to play the World Cup. And sometimes it really messes up team chemistry. So I wanted to ask you if, if that was a problem as well in Iran. No, it's definitely not been a problem. Thankfully, you know, with the you know the interesting thing with Iranian football, um, from you know this is just my own perspective, is that when you when it's a coach of Iran, there is a 50-50 morale amongst the players. Fifty percent of the team likes them, and fifty percent they don't like them. But interesting with under Carlos Kerry, these guys will would walk on fire for the guy, if that makes sense, in the sense that. The sense of team spirit amongst the players have not only just been something that I've never seen in my lifetime so far with the national team, but how much they'll fight for Carlos Queiroz. So there's not, and with the players he's always selected, these are the players he trusts, if that makes sense, you know. And it's not, uh, you won't, there might be one or two surprises, you know, because of how well um, some of our other players are doing in Europe, and now it's a toss-up between who he's going to call. But I don't think right now in Iran we'll definitely have a problem in the sense that you know, the players that he's used in the qualifications, most likely going to be half of those teams, if that makes sense, you know. Majority of those players that he's been part of the qualification part, he's probably going to call up, you know. Maybe one or two of them um, are going to be kind of shockers in the sense that, you know, somehow these players that you would have never even thought of potentially making the team, they possibly do because of how well, you know, they've done in their trials pretty much. But Iran doesn't have that issue, Mar, in the sense that, how would I say that, you know, that... All of a sudden, there's a huge debate of why Carlos Kader hasn't called up this player and whatnot. The team that he's selected right now, uh, throughout the qualification process, is pretty much near close to the team that he's going to take to, uh, okay. you know, okay. to the World yeah, Cup. And um, I think that really has to do with why this team chemistry has gotten so highly. You know, um, our captain Andranik Taymurian, unfortunately, because of the situation we had with Iranian leagues and stuff, uh, clubs and stuff like that. As much as you know, Kader loves the guy, and you know. He's a veteran. He hasn't gotten a call up. He was part of the qualification process, I would say, maybe for one or two matches. But 
right now he's gone missing because, and that goes on to show you that he's not scared to get rid of big names, and he's done it with one of, two of our big players way back in the day when he first started with Mehdi Rahmati. Arguably, I would still say he's the best goalkeeper in Iran, and um, and, and our former captain Hadi Agli because you know they didn't fight for the badge, and he just got rid of them. So he's a kind of a guy that you know he he's. He doesn't care how big of a name you are. If you're not gonna willing to fight for the badge, he's gonna get rid of you. You know. Well, can, can I ask you about him because he's yeah. been linked to the actually the Algerian national team uh, job on two previous occasions, and there were lots of reports that he was fairly close to getting it. And he's always been a personality personality that's really respected here, obviously yeah. for his ties uh, with Manchester United, but also because he speaks so many different languages and he's yeah. coached in so many different parts of the world. Um, so if you could just like, for example, tell me. Somebody that doesn't know anything about Carlos Quiroz, could you give me like a sixty-second breakdown of him? Just yeah, of you know, course. Like um, for for view listeners that are listening to this, is that listen, Carlos Quiroz um, is actually African. You know, he actually was born in Mozambique. Um, I don't know if you knew that or not. And um, you know, he has coached not only in America. Um, I believe it was Metro Stars. Like he's coached in Japan, Nagoya Stars. He's coached in South Africa. He's in nineteen ninety-nine. He's coaching UAE. Um, he was Sir Alex Ferguson's, you know, at Manchester United assistant coach, which is a big part of why um, United um, during 2008 won the, you know, Champions League and the league because of how well Carlos Carriage worked with the players when it came to defensively discipline, you know, and he's really shaped the, uh, you know, this team discipline, you know. Ira- Iranian players, I would say now, are more technically aware uh, thanks to this guy. Uh, interesting enough, you know, in Iran, a lot of our players, we have the talent, but we don't have the coaches to tactically p- prepare them, if that makes sense, and he's brought another revolution in the sense of how well he does, he's a tactical genius, I just want to put it this way, you know, um, yes, I, I remember he was linked to Algeria, you know, and whatnot, but, you know, obviously, I just feel like those reports are just, you know, stuff that you would expect, honestly, with how big of a name is, he's been linked to many other, you know, countries as well. But to give people, a, um, if you know African listeners are listening to this and they don't know much about Carlos Quiroz, is that he's he's a revolution. You know, um, he's not only coach was assistant coach at United and he coached in Real Madrid. You know, he was a coach of you know Portugal back in 2010. So he has a vast amount of experience. You know, and one thing that one of our guys uh, told me about, which is very interesting, and I think Mar, this is going to be something that you're going to be really interested to is that he had a lecture in Brazil and he spoke about how important it is when you're going to coach, if you're a foreign manager trying to go into another country that you're not part of, you know, you're not from there, it's very important for you to adapt to that culture of that country. And I'll repeat how important that is to you, my friend, is that the reason why right now a lot of Japanese um, fans, the coach, the former Algerian coach, Vahid um, Halu, I can't pronounce his last name. Halu Lodzic, you know. A lot of those, from what I've been told when I was in Japan, that they don't like about him is that he's never adapted to the Japanese culture. He's not been part of that culture. So I don't know if he really did that with the Algerian team, and that's why maybe they blossom under him. But I think that's something that is so important that, you know, and goes on to show what a character calls is that how he believes that managers, if you're a foreign manager, coaching another country that you're foreign to, how important it is for you is to adapt and learn about the culture and be part of it. Because that's the only way you could connect with the players, you know? I'm not saying he speaks Farsi, but I'm saying that he's gotten to a point that he understands how, what Iranian football is and how he could overcome, you know, the obstacles of how to talk to an Iranian player, you know? And, you know, whether that's culturally, emotionally, or socially. And I think that shows you what kind of character he is. 
Um, and another interesting, cool fact about Carlos Carrera that a lot of people don't, he was actually one of the big mentors to Jose Mourinho, uh, right now, current uh, Manchester United manager. He's a big name, and um, the work he's done in Iran is a revolution. Every, a lot of players that you would never expect to leave Iran, they want to leave Iran so they could get a call up to the national team because he's done something that says that, hey, I don't care where you play in Europe as long as you're getting first team minutes and, you know, and the work he's done for Iran for the past seven years now, he's the first ever manager to take Iran to the consecutive World Cup and he's right now considered Iran's greatest manager. And I'm not just exaggerating this to you, Mar. It's actually a lot of, uh, oh, fan, a lot of fans um, believe that because... There's a sense of unity amongst us. And Iran doesn't lose. You know, Iran, it's the, from what I watch, it's very enjoyable to watch them. And a lot of fans, I think, like, overseas or wherever they might be, that, you know, yes, you know, they're Iranian football fans, but I think they're more willing to watch Iran now because they're, like, of what they saw, you know, in 2014 when Iran... Um, Almost, almost could have defeated Argentina or even gotten a point, but unfortunately with Messi's brilliance when it came to the 94th minute, that's the kind of manager he is, that he'll shock you, you know, and um, the beloved, belayed um, manager of Nigeria back in 2014, one of the interesting things he said was that Iran's greatest weapon is the person right next to me, Carlos Kairos, and this is Iran's greatest weapon coming into this World Cup is going to be Carlos Kairos. And I, it's more than 60 seconds, so I apologize for that. But just to give uh, people a point is that, you know, that this is why we're so passionate to talk about him and the work he's done is because he's done with, um, you got to take into context with, you know, with the politics within Iran, outside of Iran, you know, with the lack of infrastructure, funding and stuff, you know, of how he's gotten the best out of those players. And I think that but a lot of what you mentioned right yeah. there is actually very, very, very relevant in North Africa right now. Yeah. Tunisia had... Uh, a string of, um, well, not a string, but they had uh, at least a couple uh, foreign coaches. And, and it was really, the decision to bring back Nabil Malul as a coach now was not really welcomed uh, too, too, too much at the beginning. People were, he was already the coach back in 2012 or 13, and people felt like we'd already seen that and done it. But what he's been able to do is they brought in a Tunisian manager, and he understands the psychology of these players, and he manages to get the best out of them. And again, this might serve, it might sound like empty platitudes, but it really does mean something. It's something that I've observed very, very acutely. So, and, and it's the same thing in Algeria that after, you know, having successive managers, Christian Gorkouf, who's uh, the Frenchman's Frenchman, uh, Milovan Rajevac, who couldn't speak a lick of uh, English, French, or Arabic, and uh, couldn't communicate with his players, um, George Likens, who is as charismatic as a, as a, as a shoe, um, we've finally come back and brought in. Uh, the country's legend, Rabah Majer, who scored the you know the Champions League uh, final goal in 1987, who's an Algerian, who again understands the, the player psychology, and even Hervé Renard, going back to Carlos Queiroz yeah. and, and understanding the country's mentality, he's one of the few with Claude Leroy that that will actually live in the country that they coach in, and that will uh, he's very very wary of other European coaches that come to Africa for a paycheck. So uh, that's across of North Africa. All these countries are, are sort of coming back to coaches who, who really understand player psychology and the culture that they're representing. Right, and you know it goes on to show you why he's been so successful in Africa with the likes of Zambia and Ivory Coast. You know, exactly. and now what the work exactly. he's doing with Morocco. Mar, let's now talk about um, you know Algeria, right? Obviously, um, I'm very disappointed to know that they're not going <laughs> to because 
They're probably one of my favorite teams to watch under Vahid when they were playing in the World Cup, or last World Cup. Very entertaining, that position style of football. You know, you got some of the best talents in the world, you know, uh, playing for that team. But unfortunately, I just want to know why was it that didn't qualify? If you could tell us, the listeners, about that uh, qualification process. Pasha, honestly, I could, um, I could write a thesis on it. It'd be 200 pages. It's very, very difficult to sort of compress that, right? Uh, especially uh, to one single point. There were many, many different reasons for it. But I would say if I were to sum it down to one word, it would be instability. Um, and that's at all levels. So uh, that's at the, the federation level, where for the first time uh, we switched a federation president since pretty much since the beginning of the 2000s, where the Mohamed Rao, he was the former president, and he was pretty much in charge the whole time, even if there was another president in his place, he was running things for a good 15, 16 years. And after the 2017 Cup of Nations, um, he was pretty much, uh, there, there was sort of, I don't want to say a witch hunt, but he was, somebody else was preferred to him, a, another federation president, Hayruddin Zichy. So there was instability at the federation level, but there was especially ins- instability at the coaching level. I believe we had uh, five or six coaching changes within 12 months. Um, after Vahid left. And that was sort of really what drove the, the final nail into the coffin. Every two, three months, we had a, a different coach who had a different playing style, and the players could never really adapt very well. And there are, again, other factors. The, mm-hmm. We have weak defending, uh, maybe a lack of leadership. Uh, the supporters weren't at their best for, for every single match. There, there's really a whole host of reasons why Algeria didn't qualify. But what's for sure is that we were not better than Cameroon. And we're not better than Nigeria, Zambia or Nigeria. And Nigeria uh, were in our group and they looked incredible. And I think they're really going to surprise people at the World Cup. They're young, they're hungry, and they attack very, very well. Right. well that's one team I'd tell you to, to keep your eye on. Right. And now looking at, you know, obviously when I watch Algeria with that position style of play, Iran is not going to have the ball against the likes of Portugal and Spain. That's just That's just a fact, you know. But how would you think um, it will benefit Iran um, with that style of play that Algeria will bring in? Look, if, if this was two, three years ago and we were still playing under Christian Gorkouf, I would say, perfect. You know, that this is going to be like playing against... It's not going to be like playing against Spain, but you get my drift. You know, that yeah. Algeria do play a possession heavy... They, they like to hold on to possession. They like to spread the pitch wide. They like to attack through the wings. Um, but the the main project of this new coach, Rabah Majir, has been to quote-unquote, Africanize the national team, which means bring club players that have played club competitions in Africa. Uh, that means rely on veterans. That means maybe not play the pretty game and leave yourself vulnerable to counterattacks. Maybe play you know, the more, the more Tunisian or Morocco-style, pragmatic style of play. So he's only had uh, one official match in charge, uh, and Algeria haven't really been playing that pretty brand of football. Um, but we haven't lost in two games. We've drawn one and we, we've won one technically. So uh, it's very difficult to say what Algeria, how Algeria are going to line up, what they're going to do. Do they have technical players? Absolutely. Yes, they do. Are they going to have a coherent possession, pretty style of play? I'm not so sure. But if they do, then I think that'd be an excellent sparring partner for, for, for Iran. I believe Iran is going to play Algeria and Austria. And I'm pretty sure Carlos Kedish on purpose is going to play very defensively because, you know, try to get the team more organized, as I would say. Um, you know, for the likes of Spain and stuff like that. But if you I think that's a good idea, yeah, so to have like one tactic for 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 one opponent, Spain, and another tactic for for Morocco, like be more open against Morocco, and or, or do you think that's that's um, not that it'll confuse players, but you know, uh, maybe it'll set up bad habits for for one player or another. 
because Vahid Halilovic was very, very good at that. He he implemented two different tactics before going to the 2014 World Cup. A counter-attacking tactic that we used against Belgium, and then a possession-based tactic that we used against the likes of South Korea and uh, and Russia. So, And he used... I think we're the only team to use 21 out of 23 players uh, out of our squad, or 20 out of 23 players. Only one outfield players and two reserve goalkeepers didn't play in in, in the 2014 World Cup. So he really played to the strengths of every one of his players. So do you think that's a good thing if Queiroz sort of uh, plays with different tactics in different matches? No, of course. Um, One of the hardest I feel for Carlos Queiroz is that when leading up to the qualification, Iran played more of a pragmatic, more open football, expansive. You know, we weren't as much defensive because we know we're a much better team now. And so we could, with the likes, with the group, we were more willing to attack, right? But unfortunately now with the group that we've got, and he has to more revert back to his old ways, if that makes sense, much more defensively, you know? And now he has to get these players again to think in that approach. I mean, they're used to it, don't get me wrong. You know, we still play a brilliant defensive game. But, you know, how to be more compact because of the team we had four years ago um, with the likes of Argentina was much more easier, as I would say, to defend with them, if that makes sense. With the players we have now, it's more we, we have more of an attacking style of play, you know. And, you know, people that are listening today could agree with me or disagree, but that's just, you know, what I believe in, you know. I would say right now, yes, you know, because end of the day, you know, as I've mentioned to you, Mar, is that the biggest issue right now that Kairos has is that that's why he's setting up a lot of camps uh, for the Iranian players within Iran is trying to bring their level up, their uh, intensity, you know, of the game up because end of the day, if we're going to play the likes of Morocco, we got to give it all. Then we got the likes of Spain and Portugal. So imagine how exhausted these players are going to be, right? So he has to be willing to at least rotate maybe one or two players maximum, you know? And um, that's very, and that's, and and that goes back again to his man manager. And it's going to come down to him. So right now with a lot of the camps he's doing um, from the pictures and everything, and we see a lot of these Iranian players, is that he's right now trying to test their fitness level, you know? Because at the end of the day, Iran has to be going up against a tough, three tough teams, you know, and let's not forget, it's considered the hardest group, according to Grace Note, in terms of ranking, too, you know, so yes, and that's something that Vahid sucks and that goes on to show you why Algerian was blossoming during his tenure, was because of, you know, tactically, and just, you know, of his man management thing, so I would say, yes, you know, Carlos Kershaw would always come with a plan, but it's very hard for me to say that, you know, if we are going to play with these th- teams, right, when, when, when is Iran going to burn out? If that makes sense, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's going to come down to it because, yes, first game, we're going to give it all. But hopefully they can't be burning out against the like of Spain. Let's just put it this way. Right. And so he's trying to bring the level of these players up, you know, especially within Iran, you know. And so and how to, you know, immerse them with the European style, you know, players that we have. But my uh, from what I've told you is that what kind of formation would you say that Algeria is going to play against Iran? And do you think Iran's defensively capabilities are gonna um, hinder Algeria's match? Um, so again, that Algeria—he's played a four-four-three in both matches. I expect okay. him to play the same. Okay. Um, it's gonna be a conservative four-four-three, not an all-out attacking four-four-three. Um, with, for, for example, when we played four-four-threes in the past, where we had three ball-playing central midfielders, and we've also had ones where we've had a central defender playing. Uh, as a number six uh, or as a defensive midfielder, as you know, the the water carrier. Um, I yeah. think we're going to be looking more at like some kind of ladder, the ladder formation, where it's where it's a four three three with like almost a defense, a central defender playing as a as a defensive midfielder. Um, 
can Iran's def- defensive uh, style of play hinder Algeria? Absolutely, they can. Algeria is a team in turmoil. I think there's very few teams, national teams, that have spiraled out of control as Algeria have in the last two years. Uh, it's almost been um, it's, it's almost been confusing the way the, <laughs> the way they've digressed. Sort of, it's it's really really <laughs> disturbing actually. But um, so absolutely, Iran can can style can pose all kinds of threats, and they can they can win in Algeria, which was unfathomable four or five years ago. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how many supporters do come out and, and support the national team because whenever we have a full stadium, uh, very few teams do get the better of us here in Algeria. No. Hey, but thankfully it's going to be in Austria, so I don't know. Let's see what yeah. happens then. Good point. But I, I do expect a lot of Algerians to come out. I think a lot of Iranians will come out yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know how it is with Algerians and Iranians. But, Meyer, um, the last question I have for you um, is that, and obviously if there's any questions you might have for me or anything, actually three questions now is that what would you say the score lines for these friendlies are going to be and leading up to this is that can you tell me about what you what your thoughts on asian football are generally and about the reigning national team with the work carlos Karras has done right um so I'm, I'm, none of my answers are going to be really insightful here because it's so difficult to predict yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so difficult to predict what friendly matches are, are, are going to be but i i think did you want me to predict for all three, for the Morocco match included? I mean, we're gonna have you on the Morocco match, too, <laughs> but you could you could go ahead. It's fine. It's fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna. Well, let me make a, 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 a one prediction now and one one prediction later. Then for 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 that. All right. Um, <laughs> so I think against Tunisia, I think Tunisia are gonna win that match. I think it's gonna be uh, a one nil. Against Algeria, I think it's gonna be one one. Mm-hmm. And at the World Cup, I think it's going to be nil nil or one one. I think it's going to be one one. Let's say at the World Cup. So, I think Iran are going to be very tough. I think, I think all all three national teams are going to struggle to break them down. And that's sort of the view I have of them, and I think most Algerians have of them. It's a very very uneducated view, and I beg all of you listening to not take it seriously. But this is the sort of stereotype. This is how we see Iran here. Um, is we we, we all like again. Kairos is, is very, very uh, appreciated in Algeria and I think all across Africa and all across the world as a global manager. Yeah. Um, he's very well respected. But a lot of people are going to base their opinion of this Iranian team on what they saw in 2014. And sometimes that can be frustrating because the team can make lots of improvements. But then we saw, I don't want to say a negative team, but we saw a defensive team and a team yeah. that could defend against any side, including Argentina and the great Lionel Messi. And I think we're going to... I heard that your defense was very good as well. Uh... During the qualifiers, were you guys undefeated? Yeah, we were. Yeah, exactly. I heard that as well. So you know, it's very it seems like it's going to be very difficult to beat Iran. Um, and again, that's the style I have. It's a very general one. It's it's a very it's a, sorry um, idea I have in my head of, of your style of play. It's a very general one, mm-hmm. very uneducated. But um, it seems like a, a club that's going to be very well coached with a, a tactician at its helm that are going to be difficult to break down and that could ha- have that has enough attacking players to really hurt you. So probably, I think. One of the sides that you don't want in your group in a World Cup, uh, but uh, I still don't think that they're going to get out of the group stage. I'm sorry, I don't think Morocco or Iran will. Yeah, I mean that's um, unfortunately with that the circumstances are, and a lot of Iranians do believe that. But then again, there's always that hope, and hopefully you never know in football but what happened four years ago with Argentina. But um, Meyer, is there any last things that you would like to uh, mention? Yeah, actually, I don't know if your listeners do know, but Algeria did play Iran once before in 1991, yeah. and it was 
it was actually the Afro, I think it was called the Afro-Asian Cup of Nations or something like that. And it was the winner of the African Cup of Nations against the winner of the, the, the Asian Cup. Um, so they would have a match between the two champions. And, uh, and Algeria won that match 1-0. So I'm hoping for another nice 1-0 win uh, okay. come the 27th. Uh, but I, and I also would like to to send this petition out to all of our listeners and say um, let's let's try to get that competition going again. I, I'm all for uh, the third world rising up and, and creating our own football and competitions, especially if the Europeans aren't going to like it. <laughs> Definitely, my friend. You know, and that's what this podcast is trying to do. It's just not only trying to bring you know more Iranians um, to know about the podcast and you know trying to bring, but the whole community you know as well, so we could learn more about you know African football as much as you guys could learn more about. You know, Asian football and Iranian football. Mar, thank you so much for coming on Gold Bazan. Obviously, you're a friend of the pod, and so we'll definitely have you on uh, leading up to the World Cup when it comes to, you know, officially who the 23 man squad is of Morocco and whatnot. And um, if you could just um, tell folks where they could find you. Mostly on Twitter. I write for anybody that'll pay. So uh, you can find my articles online if you, go, if you Google my name. But on Twitter, it's at Nizahi. Maher, which is my name. So M-E-Z-A-H-I-M-A-H-E-R. Thanks for having me on. Have a good night. And that concludes our discussion with Mar Mazai, a fantastic individual. It was great to get his insight about Tunisia and Algeria. We'll definitely have him on more, especially leading up to the World Cup when we want to talk about Morocco. Folks, please, you know, subscribe to us on iTunes ratings. Um, it really, truly helps us for other people to know about such a thing exists, you know, and all we're trying to do is trying to bring everybody together as one it's a very global international podcast and you know to just get the word about iranian football the word about by itself helps a lot crucially so appreciate everyone um, you can follow us on facebook gold bazan twitter gold bazan check out our website and if for any reason you guys wanted to send us an email or anything you want to discuss please feel free to do so the email is mail at goldbazanpodcast.com and for whatever reason various reasons you guys want to personally send any director or anybody a personal email all if you go on the website and check out the about us section you could find all the emails and everything about all the people involved with gold bazan thank you so much